Tithonite coming in your life? Jesus said in John 9, 4, that we must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. This means the day of opportunity passes, never to return. Now in this lifetime is the time for activity, and we must be especially diligent because the day of opportunity is ringed by the darkness of the approaching night. This year, we've seen an increasing number of signs converging, telling us that a day of a judgment is approaching. And that means also that the coming of the Lord is imminent. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The ancient old city of Jerusalem is less than a square kilometer in size, but squeezed into its four quarters are more than 40,000 Christians, Jews, Muslims, and Armenians, who all call this home. Israel's National Emergency Rescue Service, Magan David Adom, has a big challenge reaching those who need urgent help because no ambulance can negotiate the narrow streets and stairs in much of the city. MDA has met the challenge with a specially designed all-terrain vehicle, affectionately known as a mule, to bring emergency aid and transport to everyone in need. The mule currently in use has been working around the clock for six years and is nearing the end of its mechanical life. That's why we at Jerusalem Channel are launching a humanitarian appeal for 2021 to raise the funds for a new rescue mule. Our target is $37,150, or in pounds, that's 27,300, in euros, 30,200. So if you'd like to bless Israel and in a practical way support all the families of the old city, please consider making a gift through our website, mobile app, or by mail. Thank you. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The number one sign of the second coming is the convergence of all the signs that Jesus and the prophets told us to be watching for. And are you keeping tabs with the signs? Jesus said in Luke 21, 38, when you see all these things take place, wars, earthquakes, pestilences, the recapture of Jerusalem, then look up. Your salvation is drawing near. Just to remind you that the signs Jesus and the prophets said to look for are the people of Israel, the Jewish people coming back to the Holy Land. And as Jesus said in his Olivet Discourse in Luke 21, 24, when you see the control of Jerusalem back in Jewish hands and out from under the domination of the Gentile nations, another sign, according to Matthew 24, 14, will be the gospel being preached throughout the whole world. And 2,500 years ago, the prophet Daniel was informed with precise detail by the angel Gabriel that a fierce ruler will enter into a covenant or a treaty with Israel for a period of seven years. That's according to Daniel 9:27. This ruler will be the anti-Messiah.
Amazingly, in 2020, we saw peace agreements between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Kosovo, Serbia, Morocco, and Sudan, with the prospects of even more nations joining the Abraham Accords in the future. Many Bible prophecy followers are wondering if any of the recent peace agreements between Israel and these Islamic nations will qualify as the Daniel 9.27 treaty, because that verse says it will be a covenant made with many. These much welcome peace agreements are not yet the ominous treaty described in Daniel 9.27, but they could be the foundations for something in the future. Daniel 9.27 says the treaty that Israel will enter into will result in dire repercussions, and it will be for a specific period of time, seven years. Meanwhile, Jesus said in John 9.4 that we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, because night is coming when no one can work. Oh, you might say, I'm not able to do much work for God anyway. But we must do what we can, of course, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, because no one flower makes God's garden, but together we can all present a beautiful garden for God. Nevertheless, we feel very restricted by lockdowns and loss of freedoms through the proliferation of location tracking apps, even spyware to enforce quarantines, and ominous threats of no travel without immunity passports. These heavy-handed tactics are invading our privacy and free speech, and we feel the restrictions and have to learn to become adaptable in this lifetime that God's given us. I can think of an example from the life of David Brainerd, an 18th century American missionary to the Native American Indians. He traveled over 3,000 miles on horseback as a missionary, and he had a particularly fruitful ministry amongst the Delaware Indians of New Jersey. During his short life, he was beset by many, many difficulties. And as a result, his biography became a source of inspiration and encouragement to many believers. Other missionaries, such as William Carey and Jim Elliott, and Brainerd's cousin, the Second Great Awakening evangelist, James Brainerd Taylor, they have all been motivated by the ministry of David Brainerd. Once when he was very ill, he didn't have the strength to preach, but he was found sitting up in bed and teaching a little Indian boy the alphabet so that the boy might learn to read the Bible. And so he said, if I can't serve God one way, I will find another way. He died at the age of 29, but was always aware of the shortness of life. The point is, for every believer, we have to do the works assigned to us by the Holy Spirit as long as we are alive in this world and find creative ways to share the gospel. Even now, we're holding some of our Jerusalem-based conferences over the internet rather than be silenced by the inability for people to travel. Well, according to the commentaries, the famous Jewish work entitled The Sayings of the Fathers records the words, the day is short and the task is great and the workmen are sluggish. The reward is much and the master of the house 
is urgent. So as we assess the situation of our circumstances, we are indeed, some would argue, in that period of human history that's leading up to the last days, the Great Tribulation, which will be characterized by the emergence of a tyrannical global leader demanding submission, just as unfortunately some of our American governors have already been demanding. It's not just my view, but it's the view of many prophetic teachers that the so-called COVID crisis is the dry run, a potential precursor, so to speak, of the time to come leading to Jacob's trouble, the Great Tribulation, when people will be controlled by global government. It's not just a conspiracy theory, but some speculate the threat of a global killer virus was deliberately planned to collapse economies, while unprecedented lockdowns have enriched millionaires and billionaires and crippling small businesses. So we're diligently studying the signs of the times, watching and praying, as our Lord told us to do, being sober-minded to discern the will of the Lord and to uncover the plots and schemes of the powers of darkness. We're hoping and praying for a more biblical daylight so that we can be effective to win souls, but we're also mindful of the fact that a holy, righteous God must avenge all the evil and bloodshed, and he can't stay his hand of judgment indefinitely. The narrative that's being pushed is forced vaccination of the entire population and the refusal to be vaccinated smacks of the time mentioned in the book of Revelation when the anti-Messiah will cause everybody to be marked. And without that mark, a person will not be able to buy or sell or move about. And that presumes no access to jobs, travel and medical care and so forth. Already, there's the specter that you can't travel without a vaccination passport or that family and friends might be forbidden to see you if you can't prove that you have been vaccinated. An article in Prophecy News Watch asked the question, what if this year is not the storm, but the calm before the storm? This past year's long time out, which may have been orchestrated by the enemy of our souls, has also been used by the Almighty as a divine gift to us to give us time to draw closer to himself. He has surely allowed this gift of time to remove from us many distractions from our busy lives. He's allowed this gift of quiet time in order to remove all of the noise that we might ask some really important questions, the article said, about the purpose of life and what really happens after death? Well, the Prophecy News Watch article went on to say that God is calling his people to put away the sin that so easily besets us that we might know him on a deeper level in order to strengthen us to run and not grow weary in the real fight that may lie ahead in the days to come, in the years to come, should the Lord tarry. And so what if you knew that the day is nearly over and that night is almost here? Would it spur you on to get serious with God? What if you knew you had only a short time left to reach those very near to you with the love of the Messiah and the good news of the forgiveness of sins? 
What if you continued to hit the snooze button when your Heavenly Father was sounding the alarm to shake you out of spiritual complacency, saying, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Messiah will shine on you and give you light? And what if the Lord wants to use us to be lights in this ever-darkening world? Well, it's my prayer that we can have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and hearts of surrender because the persecution of believers around the world is shockingly on the increase. And some believers in the body of Messiah worldwide feel that they're already experiencing some of the horrors of the Great Tribulation period. In fact, persecution of Christians by extremists is growing. The most recent report of persecutions by Raymond Ibrahim for the Gatestone Institute in his November 2020 report, Ibrahim quoted a newspaper in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Members of an Islamic-linked force slaughtered approximately 20 Christians, and according to a clergyman who lost his family in the raids, the extremists tried to force some of the Christians to convert to Islam. They also tried to force the pastor's wife and their four children to convert, but when they refused, the pastor's wife was shot in the head while their four children were cut into pieces with a sword. The clergyman wasn't present during the attacks, but he said that the militants intend to establish an Islamic state in the Congo ruled by Sharia law. A journalist reported that the people were still in a state of shock, terror, and bewilderment as the extremists surrounded churches and 10 girls were attacked and 15 other girls abducted from the Anglican and Roman Catholic churches. With 14 Christians admitted to hospital in critical condition, with injuries to their heads and others with fractured hands and legs due to injuries from all sorts of weapons. According to the newspaper report, there have been many such attacks on Christians in the weeks and months leading to this one, including massacres where more than 50 Christians who refused to recant their faith were killed, especially the women and children. In the nearby nation of Mozambique, according to a Barnabas aid report in November 2020, Islamic militants turned a village soccer field in northern Mozambique into an execution ground where they beheaded more than 50 persons during three days of violence. The attacks are amongst the worst seen in recent years in the brutal campaign by militants to establish some sort of caliphate in an oil and gas rich province of Mozambique. Meanwhile, desperate people are flooding into Christian mission stations for protection. And since 2017, according to, to the report, more than 2,000 persons have been killed and about 430,000 have been left homeless. Now, over in Pakistan, according to the British Pakistani Christian Association, for two months after kidnapping a deaf and mute Christian teenager, five men repeatedly attacked and tortured the girl. All this time, the police ignored the parents' pleas to intervene. It was only when a local authority took up the case and only after months of court hearings that the girl was located and returned to her parents. According to Juliet Chowdhury, the chairperson for the British Asian Christian Association, this young woman had suffered the most vile 
and horrific attacks. And she said there are few women that could have survived such an ordeal. And yet, despite her young years, this girl has shown a remarkable strength and faith in God. All Christian women should be moved to tears at the cruelty faced by our sisters in Pakistan, the chairwoman said. And this story should be a wake-up call. But how many will actively get involved in eradicating this evil? The slaughter of Christians continued last month in Indonesia. On November the 27th, Islamic terrorists beheaded a priest and killed three other Christians. During the raid, a Salvation Army church and six Christian homes were torched. While acknowledging that a militant group was responsible, authorities claimed that the attack was not religiously motivated. But one human rights researcher said that this latest strike was a clear escalation of violence against Christians. And in Ethiopia last month, a few hours after federal troops withdrew unexpectedly, to quote an eyewitness, 60 armed terrorists stormed a school. Announcing that they now control the area, they proceeded to hunt down and massacre at least 54 mostly Christian women, children, and elderly persons. According to the report, some survivors were able to flee to a nearby forest while the assailants rounded up women, children, and elderly who were unable to run away before shooting at the defenseless group. Witnesses said that the attackers dragged victims from their homes to the school and reported that a school building and 120 houses were burned down. This is the latest deadly assault in a spate of massacres in the past month in Ethiopia, which have been targeting the mainly Christian ethnic group. I'm sharing all these things because we need to be in constant prayer for our brethren. We can't turn a blind eye to their suffering. And in Nigeria, it's tragically no surprise that there's an ongoing jihad on the Christians there. Raymond Ibrahim's report enumerated example after example of brutal murders, including a Sunday morning attack in Borno State last month, killing 12 Christians and kidnapping women and children. A church pastor was killed, and villagers suspected the assailants were militants of the Boko Haram, which seeks to impose Sharia law throughout Nigeria. In Uganda, on November 23rd, Muslim relatives, including uncles and aunts, killed their own six-year-old nephew because his father, the murderer's brother, a former Islamic sheikh, had decided to embrace Christianity. Earlier that day, members of his extended family had a two-hour meeting with the so-called apostate, but he had repeatedly refused their demand to renounce the Lord Jesus. So soon afterwards, his uncle and four of his siblings attacked and killed the young boy named Ibrahim Muhammad. May his memory be blessed. In another incident in Uganda, Muslims murdered a Christian pastor and well-known radio personality for comparing Christianity and Islam. According to the Morning Star News, the Evangelist Associates had lauded him for having worked tirelessly for the kingdom of God to the day that he breathed his last breath. But he is survived by a very traumatized wife and eight children. And in my beloved Egypt, a spate of blasphemy-related accusations and arrests erupted last month. According to a report in Al Monitor, several arrest warrants have been issued for Egyptian Christians accused of insulting Islam. In yet another incident, 
a Christian teacher and a Muslim girl, were arrested in November over comments on Facebook that were seen as insulting and contemptuous of religion. The public prosecution ordered the arrest of the teacher and the girl on charges of blasphemy. After the teacher's critical comments were shared on Facebook, social media called for his death, saying that he must be killed and we will squash out the Christians. Well, Iran, as we know, is not a country very friendly to Christianity. And on November 15th, one month after a convert to Christianity was whipped 80 times, another convert was also lashed 80 times for the same reason, for sipping communion wine. The convert was whipped at the notorious Evan prison, where he had been serving a six-year prison sentence for organizing house churches and promoting what they called Zionist Christianity. The November report of Iran's Human Rights Monitor explained that many Iranian Christians are in prison for practicing their faith. Heavy bail bonds and exile sentences are additional pressures that the Iranian regime imposes on Christians. International organizations have repeatedly censored the Iranian regime's suppression of religious minorities, including the Christian converts for practicing their faith. Judges presiding over the trials have been instructed to consider maximum punishments for religious minorities, particularly for Christian converts. The regime criminalizes conversion to Christianity and severely restricts the faith practiced by Armenian and Assyrian Christians who live in the Islamic Republic. So the suffering of the church around the world at times reaches the utmost degree of severity. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, should be in the libraries of all of us. The church is in its conflict with a worldly power and it uses its weapons of truth and righteousness, prayer and fasting. But the weapons in the hands of the enemies of the truth are wicked and physical. Let's face it, the histories of both the church and Israel are the long stories of bitter, painful, cruel, and ungodly persecutions, but great triumphs as well. In discussing all of this, I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 6 and verses 9 to 11, where the apostle John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of this word of God and their testimony. And they cried out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And what about Europe? In Ibrahim's recent persecution report, I'll mention both Austria and Italy. In Austria, a terror attack targeting a Catholic youth group was thwarted at the last minute. According to a November 27 report, the killer wanted to cause a bloodbath of the Catholic youth group during a prayer evening in Vienna. The assassin failed because of a door that was locked by a timer and 17 young people belonging to the Catholic group escaped a catastrophe. Hallelujah. But the assassin was shot down in front of the city's oldest church by officials. The 17 young people escaped by turning off the lights when they first heard shots, and they stayed in the dark until 2.30 in the morning when police finally gave the all clear. Churches in Vienna are now being monitored more closely as part of the regular police patrol. 
And in Italy last month, in a suburb of Venice, an Arab refugee decapitated and cut off the hands of an historic statue of the Virgin Mary. It was grim and shocking, and the sense of community was deeply wounded by this act of gross vandalism. Officials said the motive was unclear why the Islamist threw himself with such brutality against a statue, a symbol of faith. But the town's mayor called it a symbolic slaughter which wounded our sensibilities. That in itself is a form of terrorism. Well, it's certainly a dangerous world that we're engaged in. The preachers mentored by England's John Wesley were asked if they got involved in political struggles, and they replied that their work was focused solely on souls. They said our work is to win souls, and we give ourselves over to it 100%. I think that requires a Selah moment. Now I want to return to the text for today. Jesus said that we must do the works of God who sent him while it's still daytime because night is coming when nobody can work. So what was the context of this saying? Well, it's recorded in John chapter 9, a chapter that is given over to the miracle of the healing of a blind man, a man who was blind from birth. And this miracle is recorded only in the Gospel of John. It's one of the four miracles Jesus performed in Judea near Jerusalem, mentioned in John's Gospel. He records eight great miracles altogether, four in the Galilee, turning the water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, feeding the multitude, and walking on the water. And four miracles in Judea, purifying the temple, restoring the sight to the blind, healing the impotent man, and raising Lazarus. Although John said Jesus did many more miracles, these are the ones that he chose to record. Each was a vivid picture of spiritual realities. And three of the four great miracles wrought by the Lord in Judea exactly represent the three categories of divine messianic works referred to in Matthew 11:5, that the lame will walk, the blind will see, and the dead will be raised up. Now, the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9 is one of those miracles which the people were especially taught to expect in Messiah's time. And that's according to the prophecy of Isaiah 29, 19. In that day shall the eyes of the blind see out of obscurity. It was one of those signs of Messiah having come to which Jesus particularly directed John the Baptist's attention when John had a downing moment. And we see that in Matthew eleven five, Jesus said, go tell John that the blind receive their sight. That was a messianic sign. So it was a miracle worked in public and on a man well known so that it was impossible for Jerusalem to deny it. And may our eyes be open to what time it is on God's timeline and not deny it. Now, in conclusion today, my question is, are we ready for the Lord's sudden appearing? Jesus will come for his completed church. He will come for his suffering church. And then there's going to be an even more terrible time of tribulation of seven years. But through it, Israel will be saved. I pray for God to give the church his heart for Israel, to pray that all of God's purposes for Israel will come to pass. 
That's part of the command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And furthermore, Isaiah 62, 6 declares to believers, you, you who are the Lord's remembrancers, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Amen. I also always urge you without apology to believe on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And then the Bible promises you shall be saved. Time to mention that at our website, exploits.tv, we have an extensive library of videos as well as news on current and end time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine, Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, declaring the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits. We'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time of daylight before his imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets. Today, in honor of all the persecuted believers and martyrs of our generation, I want to leave you with the words of Isaiah 62. For behold, darkness, gross darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Amen. Until next time, I'm Christine Darn, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Shalom. <laughs>